Hello, my name is Connor Bryant. And I'm Jason Thornton. And you're listening to the Amazed and Perplexed Podcast. Today we're continuing on in our exploration of John chapter four. If you, uh, it's been a little while since you've listened to the previous episodes. Jesus has come through Samaria. He's interacted with this woman at the well. They've had a theological discussion, and now they're about to get into kind of the the nitty gritty of what is going on in this woman's life. And so, if you want to pick up with us in verse sixteen, Jesus says this. He told her, "Go call your husband and come back." I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And Jesus said, oh, snap. That's where he was like, man, I wish the disciples were around. So somebody could have been like, whoa. This is extra testamental information, just for the record. Oh, well, I like to imagine. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. God is Spirit and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. Jason Thornton, what amazes you about this passage? So, really, I'm, I'm honestly my head first is drawn to the woman staying in the conversation because I read this, have have read this most of my life. Maybe it's how it was presented to me as how confrontive this is. So the the initial amazing thing is some double dipping, I suppose, but it's how she stays in the conversation. But when I really dig deeper, I'm like, how is it that Jesus is able to say a truth? That from my vantage point would seem passive aggressive, mm-hmm. like "Hey, good job, good job, you're the worst, good <laughs> job, good job," you know, and um, and and still keep her engaged. I, I sent a text uh, recently to a person that I think is really missing the boat on something, and not sinning, but just not listening to good good counsel. And I felt so much tension when I sent that. I mean, I, I prayed about it, I wrote it, I deleted it, I prayed about it, I wrote it, you know, I sent it finally. So tense, and um. And but then like I feel like I I'm not loving this person if I don't tell the truth the best I know how you know as much humility as I I know to have here it is Jesus says something that is infinitely more confrontive than I did and yet he still is engaging to her you know like she already has if you listen to the previous podcast or read the scripture yourself she already has plenty of reasons to walk away and she seems to be drawn in by the interaction and and that's amazing it's amazing about her. So I don't want to not give her some credit, but it's amazing that there's something about his presence, even his intonation. Like like as you were reading, you read it with different intonation than than I would. And the truth is we don't know the intonation. You know, we just don't know. And so what is it about his presence, his nonverbals that says this thing that in my mind eviscerates her? Yeah. And yet she's engaged even more. 
Well, I, you know, I think it, it absolutely says something about Jesus and his the way he speaks, his charisma, um, the way he carries himself, and the way he l- loves even through confrontri- confrontation. What I also, I just want to kind of throw out there as a possibility, what does it say about the woman that she's willing to stay in the conversation? And even, you know, she tried to deflect earlier on and try to, you know, kind of bring up the uh, hot theological topic of the day. And she tries to do it again. Jesus confronts her with her sin. And her first reaction is to deflect and to be like, well, let's let's kind of get back on ground that I'm, I'm more sure of. And the fact that this conversation, uh, at least today, ends where it ends is kind of miraculous because I think about when two people who are diametrically opposed in their worldviews, in their theology, in their culture, in their ideologies come together and there's a discussion of differences and there's confrontation and not even saying like, hey, I think you're wrong in this, but being brutally honest and saying like you're, what you're doing is harmful, how you view these things is harmful. And that's what this woman, how she views things, how she lives her life is ultimately harmful to her and it it is sinful the fact that this is that both of these people can have these can have this conversation right because there are plenty of people where jesus wants to dig deeper he wants to go further and he wants to really dig in but he confronts them there are people that jesus has an interaction with and those people just they can't go any further it stops right there and so there's something really amazing about this woman that it doesn't stop there mm-hmm. yeah i see that entirely yeah and, and so that 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 gets to what amazes me it, it it's the fact that this woman who you know who's had five husbands or you know who weren't her husband the fact that this is someone that jesus reveal reveals his identity to it says something so profound about who Jesus esteems in the kingdom of God. Uh, and, and ultimately it says about who he esteems and ultimately the power of his love and the power of his um, life changing transformation. I mean, the fact that you would entrust this um, entrust this to somebody like her is, is really like it, it, it's just miraculous. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong in, in John up to this point, there's not been a thing with like the disciples, right? Where he was like, Hey, this is, you know, this is exactly who I am. And the fact that he, he does this with this, um, with this woman who is a part of a culture that is opposed to the Jewish religion. And in fact, isn't even like spiritually mature enough to be like, Oh, I want to dive in deeper to this conversation. No, continually tries to deflect from what Jesus is trying to teach her. The fact that this woman is somebody that Jesus wants to reveal himself to, uh, man, it's just there. I don't think we could talk enough about what it says about who Jesus is after and, and what he is about. I have never thought about that. I've never thought about that dynamic of he, he is so particular Oddly particular. I don't even know if we've done, I mean, you and I have discussed over the years, but if we've done a podcast around where he tells people, I just did something that will blow your mind every time you think about it the rest of your life, don't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. And and how, and, and I can make some sense of it, you know, and I, he's Jesus, so I, I have to assume he's listened to the Spirit, he's got it right, but his, his like refusal to to be, uh, here's my brand, as we say today, or, or to build momentum or, or you know, inertia, public relations inertia. And yeah, yeah, so that does really magnify, and that that is new thinking to me, that that really magnifies what, it, it it's exactly right. In conversations that I sense rebuttal, I'll stay in there. I'm, I'm even thinking of specific conversations I've had. I'll stay in there with one, two, and I'm saying I'm doing really good, not like my normal conversation, but I'm really doing well keeping pace. But after the second, third rebuttal, I'm just like, eh, they're not that interested. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let this go. And then now I'm looking looking at myself, and I'm like, oh, 
what does my body language, what does my charisma send out when I decide, oh, they just don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. And Jesus actually goes the opposite, where re- he reveals something that even historically, now again, assuming there's some chronology to John, that's always up in the air, but historically, it's going to be a year um, or more before he he says to the disciples, who do you say I am? And it's groundbreaking that they're like, you're the Messiah. And when you, if you've read this text before, you know that when he says it, she believes it. That's the other thing. So here's something I never thought about. So, in, you know, the chrono- chronology is, is so difficult and hard. And I just sometimes I just throw my hands up and kind of try not to figure it out. But OK, Jesus comes. He's the Messiah. He comes to, to liberate and to build his kingdom. And, and it's this grand, epic, cosmic scale of events that Jesus comes. Like when uh, we're recording this a little bit before Easter and, you know, and the death, burial and resurrection and ultimately the ascension of Jesus is it, it the well the the death burial and resurrection are the three most important days in the history of creation they're, they're, i mean cosmic level earth shattering universe uh maybe alternate universe i have no idea i mean just it, it, you can't state how big it is and, and the impact and and the scale of it all and the fact that jesus chooses to reveal this um the seed of of all of that to this woman in the middle of nowhere who is ultimately like we don't get like further down the road and then the Samaritan woman came back on the scene in Jerusalem and spoke up on but there, there's no big like there's no big like aha this is why Jesus revealed this the fact that he reveals this cosmic shaking reality to a woman in the middle of nowhere who is not a part of his tribe and there's no like there's no clear way that we can connect it back to some grand scheme of things man it says so so much about how jesus esteems what we would see the as the little things and the fact that it is so important that jesus would would share the truth and what we would see as ultimately not impacting his his greater ministry man it, it is just it, it is mind-blowing to me that that is you know i often wonder why is it and i've heard other people say this if you know if if God is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and the Holy Spirit is the same. And and yeah, I, I, I think there's legitimacy to say God works in different ways in different eras, but why don't we hear of these groundbreaking things? Now, part of it is because I only listen to my echo chamber, my heritage. Uh, when I get outside of my heritage, oh, and because I only listen to my heritage, I devalue these stories that don't happen in my heritage or my people, but I do think there are amazing stories out there. But I also think I create this box that I live in. And so if I'm interacting with this woman, in other words, if you were to say, Jason, I want you to reach this whole Samaritan town, I'd be like, wait a minute, we're all racist. <laughs> and no one will accept that. And they won't accept me. And so who's my first point of contact? Oh, it's going to be a woman who's ostracized. And I'm like, oh, it's so unfair. We're not going to get anywhere. You know what I mean? And so you have this miraculous chain of events. And it's because both the human and the human God um, stay in the conversation. They, mm-hmm. they, one could say they're both trusting God in the way they can that carries them through. And how many times do I disengage um, from the process because I'm judging it from my human logic? And I'm like the work I, that happens at Monroe. One of my kids is graduating. The, a kid I met in seventh grade, he's graduating in a month. And all along the way, I honestly, I'm like, am I accomplishing anything? You know? And for him to say, hey, there's only six people. I want you there at my graduation. I mean, that's miraculous to me because along the way, I was like, I am doing this this guy no good. You know what I mean? And that's such small in the grand scheme of things. But I wanted to disengage because I felt like I'm not good at this. And is this making a difference? And there'd be times I wouldn't talk to him for months and, you know, these kind of things.
One thing that hits me, I'm, so I'm, I meet with this group of, of women. They tend to be women. Um, sometimes we have men in the group, but they're they're almost all 70 plus, maybe even 80, 85, you know, in that zone. And uh, and I was talking to them last week, and man, I've just felt the presence of the Holy Spirit in our conversation. It was just, we we're talking about deep stuff. And I just said, you know, it's funny because we devalue this because nobody's going to report on it. But how do we know? How do we have the audacity to think this isn't the most important thing going on on the earth right now? Because when we look at this, we're le- at the Bible, we're looking through God's perspective. Nobody remembers this lady except John writes the story down. Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't even record it, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think, and that doesn't invalidate it. What it does do is we think, well, if I do this and a hundred people respond or a thousand or add your number or type a person or whatever, then it's important. And the thing is, Jesus shows us he's not planning. I mean, we do not take in how backwards Jesus does things versus how church leadership would do things. You know, you start small and you build, 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 and then you preserve momentum and you brand and then you get your message out and all these things. He's the opposite. And it it strikes me as so funny sometimes. And honestly, I'm cynical of this where people, we do it like Jesus does. And I'm like, Jesus didn't have a church building. Let's start there. Let, can yeah. we own the fact we are nothing like the New Testament church? Can we quit lying to ourselves and saying, yeah, we're the New Testament church just like them? And I'm like, mm-hmm. you've not read the book of Acts if you think you're the New Testament church in the situations I've been mm-hmm. going into. And I think that's okay. I, I'm not suggesting that's wrong. I'm simply saying he did everything backwards. And what gets most lit up, you know, highlighted, is that's the best word, um, are things that are small. Mm-hmm. In, in terms of nobody in the surrounding areas knew. And I'm telling you, the apostles didn't go back and brag to their friends, hey, we converted a bunch of Samaritans. Yes. They're not bragging about it. That's good. You know? Man, I love what you said there, especially about you know, your meeting with the um, mostly older women. And how, how do we know that that's not you know, the biggest deal in the universe? And, and I think about you know, the plot lines of history and, and the overarching um, plan that God has for the universe. And the fact that, that, that this... This central line, this central plan has a line through, you know, the middle of Samaria, through this, you know, ostracized woman's life. And I think, man, it just speaks so much. Um, I I think for me, a lot of times I I tend to shy away from that majestic reality because then I go like, oh, that's too much for me. Right. If I if I go, man, every moment can be my, you know, meeting the Samaritan woman by the well, then like I I just can't handle it. You know, And, and obviously the answer to that is submitting to the Holy Spirit. But I think there's this this holy tension to go like Jesus wasn't planning it like how we were, were planning it. it. It's so much more um, personal. It's so much uh, less corporate than how we do things now. Uh, it's in a sense so much more laid back, but it's also this majestic, massive deal. And, and this is where I think we find um, where we get. I think I I want to be more comfortable in the wrestling of the tension between the majestic cosmic Jesus and and the and the and the Jesus who wants to weep and get down with you in the dirt. Uh, and and man, for me, I tend to vacillate to one or the other. But I think th- this is a story where we see uh, where we see the the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world uh, in in the cosmic sense, and then also we see him in, in the dust and the grime and and of the world. And man, that that that's a picture that. It, I really, I can really get behind. Yeah, I, I could go all day, and I want to be really super clear. I don't stand in blanket condemnation of any system. God can work through any system. Mm-hmm. It's just the, sometimes the arrogance, but even the maybe ignorance of saying, yeah, we do it just like Jesus, and I'm like, we do everything the 
opposite of what Jesus did. The only thing I hope we're doing that's the same as Jesus is we're trusting in God and not in ourselves or our heritage or our strategy or whatever else that will come and go. Yeah. You know, and and when you trust God, regardless of the system, God's going to work. Um, so it's not a condemnation to the system or the approach or any church. It's just the idea of of saying, yeah, we're we're doing exactly like them. That's the part that I'm like, I don't know if you noticed, uh, but he's quite different. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I feel like we're neck deep in things that are perplexing already. But just, yeah. to, add, just to add, what perplexes you about this? So it's funny because this woman is continually trying to distract Jesus with with her theological issues and, and things that she really cares about. And this is not something that's really ever distracted me, but it, it is is it's just hard for me to get my mind around. And so in, in verse um, in verse twenty two, Jesus says, "You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet the time is coming and is now come when the true worshipers were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we. I don't mean to." belittle the word of God, but I, well, I already read it. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to waste anybody's time. Not that I just feel like I have to clarify everything. Not that I think reading the word of God is wasting time. Um, but the fact, I, I think there's a leaning in today's world. And I think a leaning in my own heart t- to talk about, um, to be, uh, the, I feel uncomfortable with that statement. I feel uncomfortable with the reality that God had a chosen people and that God was revealing Himself, um, revealing Himself, and not that not that Jesus says it here, because Jesus is not holding up the the Israel, the um, the Jewish people as better than or more than or more important to God than in fact He's He's actively going against it. Um, but but it, it is so perplexing to me because I think about um, this could sound this could sound like Jesus, like a person could take this and go, well, the Jews, Jews are better people. Right. And I think this is how a lot of, how a lot of Jesus disciples would have taken it. Right. We're better. We're better than Samaritans. We're God's chosen people. And so therefore we matter more X, Y, you know, X plus Y equals Z. It, it perplexes me because like, I want Jesus to be more clear. I want Jesus to be more clear of like, not even more clear, but I just want him to be more, um, I want him to be more careful and it, it's always hard when we say that because, like, Jesus is like when we read the story, this story, it that this and this happened, and it was being written to a specific group of people, and it is for us, but it was not written to us. Um, and so it's always hard to parse those things. But yeah, it, it's just a perplexing dynamic that I don't really have a big takeaway from it, but it just kind of leaves me feeling like, man, there's some work that I have to do in my own heart because it's not it's unsettling to me. Yeah, and th- let me let me mirror back to make sure I'm tracking with you. The The part that is unsettling is the whole dynamic of God looking at people made in his image, everyone, choosing a specific group, elevating that group, even though, you know, once we start assessing who's the more morally corrupt, who's, the, yeah. you know what I mean? And he's the hardest on them in the sense that he sends them into, you know, <laughs> captivity and it's brutal and a lot of death, you know, over the years. So he's a he's a tough dad, you know, in that regard. Um, but still, this elevation and and that's the part. This brings up that bigger dynamic. Is that what you're? Yeah, I, about? I think maybe to drill down a little bit deeper, so that even to help myself here, it's the dynamic that God raises up the the nation of Israel to be a light a light for all the other nations, to be a light for all the other cultures and all the other people. Uh, and it's the perplexing dynamic that people that that the, the disciples would have viewed that as 
as a confirmation that they were better than the Samaritans, that they were. Right. And, and I think we see that happen all the time in, in modern day culture of, oh, we live in America and we're more blessed than 99.9% of people that have ever lived. So that's confirmation that God blesses us and God cares about us more as opposed to what it could be, which is, man, we're so much more blessed than anybody else in the world. And we bless, we are so much, we are more blessed than man, so many other people. And so therefore we can be such a light and we can be such a, a gift to the nations. Um, it, the, the perplexing thing is that that sort of mindset is so easily corruptible um, in, in a secular sense, like in the modern day sense of like America. And it's also so easily corruptible for the Jewish people. Yeah, and I, I think that's right. And that's where it's so offensive, where Jesus says, was John, a few chapters from here, where he's like, um, you know what, children of Abraham, which is this whole, that's a phrase that kind of takes that whole thing, you know, like, we're children of Abraham. And he's like, God can make children of Abraham out of these rocks right here. And they're like, somebody's dying. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> them are fighting words. Yeah, I, I get that. And and I think in general, like, I think of the passages where Paul writes, God uses some for noble purposes and ignoble purposes, and, and we're like wait a minute, that ain't right. You know what I mean? That's not fair. And and I think this this is that deeper issue of what about all the injustices I see on earth? Why does God not care about them? And furthermore, why does he not do anything about them in any timely manner? You know, and then, and this gets me crossways with almost everyone who's saying we need to create, we need to be working on creating heaven on earth. And I look at Jesus and I'm like, he wasn't interested in creating heaven on earth. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this. He didn't set up, he could have set up the food pantry of all food pantries and set up a model for feeding everybody, clothing everybody, healing everybody. He didn't. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, he's he's adverse to that. When they come looking for food, he's like, I ain't giving you food. So it, it's this dynamic that we're constantly trying to understand God from our point of justice. And I'm not saying we're wrong. And I think we're right in talking to God about that and saying, it bothers me. It mm-hmm. bothers me that you elevate some over another. Why is I'm I'm super blessed to be born in America and I've lived in foreign cultures and visited a bunch of foreign cultures and I I see the privilege you know of being in the in in America and there's any human system ever is going to be in the fall but man I see that simultaneously I'm like why was I why is yeah. it that's not fair that's not fair to all the tremendous people in Ecuador that that I've rubbed shoulders with or the people in Russia, you know, that what was their big thing? I mean, it's not like they were doing bad atrocities that the czars did, you know, all <laughs> yeah. these years ago. You know, they were just born there and they learned to live in that culture like everybody. And I think th- this is that challenge. And I'm always challenged. Am I really worshiping God or am I worshiping an, an idol that has some godlike qualities. Like I take this from the Bible, but he really does this. And I think that's where a lot of people trip up in their faith as they have a specific vision of God, a good God would do X, and it works for them until it doesn't. And then they think maybe there is no God or maybe God isn't loving because they've defined love from their point of view. I've defined love from my point of view and justice from my point of view and all of that. So, Jason, what perplexes you? Yeah, so what perplexes me is, and I've come to peace as I've processed this passage, the initial perplexion is, why so abrupt? Why is Jesus, she just asked for living water, and he's not, the thing that I think, I, Mm. I think we can feel like Jesus is deflecting her questions. He's answering her questions, but she's asking the wrong question. 
And and I think God does that with us a lot with our prayer request. You know, I ask for something. He's like, what you really need is this. Like I prayed for the woman of my dreams for every girl I seriously dated to be the, the woman. And then when it wasn't, I was like, where were you, God? And then when I met the woman that I need to be with, then it was like, oh, yeah, I get it now. But that was a long journey for me, you know. Mm. And so I think that happens all the time with us. And so I think he is answering your question. So then I ask myself, well, how is he answering your question? How is that the natural thing. How does that get from when the first interact? How does that get from, yeah. will you give me some water yeah. to eventually I'm the Messiah? That's, that, well, that's, that, that's true. And specifically that hard turn that eventually leads yes. there of you've, you've had five husbands and, and part of what gives me peace. And this is, I don't know who is sharing this. Maybe it's Tim Rush that was sharing this with me, but just the idea of thinking through the perspective, if this woman has had five husbands, she didn't have power to she probably didn't have power with who she was going to marry, and she certainly had no power on who was going to get divorced. That means she was abused five times and was now in a relationship because it does her no good in her social standing and her economics to be with a guy that won't marry her, meaning she's in a constant state of abuse. It is is one, I think, super legitimate way Absolutely. or very legitimate way to read this. So what he says is so abrupt, and then but but then he says, man, you're right. So he's saying in an affirmative way, which threw her. I don't think necessarily this next question is a rebuttal. I think she's saying, it's like, you know, we always say, man, if I was with God, I'd ask this one question. I think she'd been struggling with this question. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I completely honor the person that's like, she's still trying to deflect. You know what I mean? But I think it's completely valid. But yeah. but I, I think she's saying, hey, if you if you know that, this, and part of it is, with her response, and we'll see that next week. But how she responds to this interaction is kind of mind-blowing because you would assume when he says, I am he, then you have Jewish guys show up, she leaves. You would you would think she'd be like, whoo, got away from that nutcase. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? It's a complete shocker what happens next week. So you said something there that I'm sure this is basic ground for some people. I don't know if it ever connected it. There are these things that keep popping up where Jesus tries to communicate, like last week, tries to communicate this this lesson of, of him being the living water that sustains, you know, for all good. And then, and then he'll talk um, in this passage about how he, um, you know, salvation comes to the Jews, but eventually, you know, we're all going to worship, you know, neither in, on this mountain or in Jerusalem. And, and there seems to be more time dedicated to this reality, to, 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 to this part of things. And then the ending, the climax of this interaction is Jesus, to, you know, declaring himself the Messiah and sharing this with this woman. You would think the the good church response to this woman like if you were like, what is what is success in this conversation for this woman that has you know is, has these personal issues? It'd be like I need to the, the the most important thing in this conversation is you might say is that this person knows Jesus, but I think the reality is for most church people, it's the fact that her sin or you know her sin whether it's sin or abuse that she's facing, this is the most important thing, mm-hmm. and this is the this is the priority in this. Conversation. We got to get you married. Yeah, we got to get you married or out of this relationship. Yeah. This is the priority of this conversation, mm-hmm. and the fact that it is a part of the conversation. Jesus, Jesus doesn't brush it under the rug. He honors it, and he he he's very real with how it is. It you know one of the most it, the important things in our life. But the fact that it is not raised above these other things, it's not the priority of of what Jesus is trying to address. Man, that's really convicting, and it, I mean, it says a lot. Okay, so this just clicked with me. Just processing what you're saying. Jesus says, I'm living water, and she goes, and he goes, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. He's like, hey, you're right. There's your, there, this is the compliment sandwich. He's like, yeah. you're right. Good job. Here's the truth. You're correct in your answer. Okay. We take that as, I take that as passive aggressive or mocking or something like this. I think what he's saying is this. I think they probably never, she never talked about this to anybody. 
because it was proper, it was improper to talk about it. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, this guy who's made her feel safe enough to stay with a Jewish stranger who's a man um, says, hey, I know the worst about you and I still accept you. That's a physical expression of living water. That's awesome. Oh, that's He's beautiful. saying, your shame doesn't define you with me and you've got some sense that I'm a special guy here. And then when he answers the rest, this is like confirmation. He's answering this biggest question to this in her perspective, not just a nobody, but a tainted, ruined, damaged nobody. Man, that man, that is just that is probably one of the most beautiful things that I've I have thought of in the past that has like come to my mind in the past month. Not like come to mind like I thought of it, but just like being presented to me. Jesus makes a claim at the end of this about his identity. And the incredible thing about this claim is and the fact that he acknowledges who this woman is in her past and the things that have happened to her and that she struggled with. When Jesus makes the claim of who he is, it's a claim that his identity is ultimately more important than who she sees herself as. The fact that Jesus is the Messiah and the fact that he is offering her this living water, this this new life, this new, um, th- this new, that he's offering her this new life. Man, it's this, I'm, I'm struggling to find the words. It's this incredible, yeah, I, I, I can't find, I honestly can't find the words for it because it's just, it's so miraculous and it's so beautiful that Jesus is not uncomfortable with who she is. He's not uncomfortable with it. And the fact that for him, it, he acknowledges it and he moves on and says, yeah, that's a part of who you are. That is a reality of what has happened to you. But ultimately that part of your identity it is not near as important to who I can be for you. Yeah. And that's, man, that's emotional right there because Jesus looks at her and he says, you don't have to hide from me. You do not have to hide from me. You don't have to spend a single bit of energy trying to pretend you're somebody else. You're safe with me. And because I call to the things that shame you most and separate you most, the thing you don't want to come up in casual conversation, you don't have to think, well, what if he knew this? He just called out the worst stuff and said, I love you. And I, I've been in environments of intensive truth where they say, look, you don't have to say anything, but we're going to have some time of intensive truth. And he, here's the thing that I, I, would, I'm, I, don't, I don't tell people, but I'm telling you. And I mean, even though most people probably pull their punches, they're not going to say the worst of the worst of the worst, but you're kind of testing the waters. To feel acceptance when you say those things, even from humans, mm-hmm. it feels shocking life-giving and and sadly especially if you spend a lot of time in church where you've grown accustomed to the chief thing i have to do is pretend like i don't have struggles you know and you just it's just in your muscle memory to pretend and it feels inappropriate for somebody else to confess too much you know you, you should just say you have sin you shouldn't go into the actual sin and understand i'm not honoring specific kinds of what i'm talking about is the fear i'm not honoring confession for confession's sake or honesty for honesty sake. I'm talking about what usually holds us back is the belief that God, we say God's all-knowing, but then we turn around and be like, but he would never accept this. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, we've talked about it a thousand times that the the area of your life that you're most frustrated with, the area of your life you're most afraid of somebody, of, of, of the public or, or a specific person knowing about, that that's, or, or the, the thing that keeps making you angry, or the, that's the thing that God wants to work in. That's the thing that God wants to use. And and that's what this thing, that, that's what would have been on this woman's mind as the thing that she doesn't want a random stranger to know because it so affects her. And, and I think about 
how liberating um, that is for this woman. And I think about what that could be like for, for people, for yes. what that could look like for people in the church today or people who don't know Jesus to be able to be, like, if we could have like a magic eight ball, I shouldn't say that because people might think witchcraft. If we could have some sort of like, <laughs> you know, insight into people's heart and go like, Hey, I know, I, I know the deepest part of you. And I like, you don't, you don't even have to confess it. Like I, like we, we already know it and whatever it is, like whatever the thing is, it, it, it is important and it's a big deal and we don't diminish it but the reality of who jesus is is bigger and ultimately it, it is ultimately the answer to to how you're feeling over this um over this massive issue in your life i think so and and what this sets up and i just i'm just grateful of experiencing these last few minutes because i'm like yeah that's even much better than what i was thinking that starts to make the pieces fall into place of how of what she does next. And that's what we'll discuss next week. That was dear professional. Listener. Well, oh, hey, I've been practicing was... for six hours. For that, so. <laughs> you can tell. Thank you for listening to the Amazed and Perplexed podcast. Uh, just always want to, we always want to be thankful. And I, I know I say that like all the time, but it, we're really, we're, we really mean it when we say we're thankful. This is something Jason and I really love to do. And we would, we did do it when nobody was listening and I'm sure we'll probably do it after nobody's listening. But while, while you are listening, while you are still interested, uh, we just would love to hear what God is doing in your, when, in your heart are the things that you said, he, we said here that you go, Oh, that really just makes you come alive. And you, you want to share that with us and just tell us that you're alive or, Hey, we, you said something and it made me connect back to this passage or made me connect to this thing that God did in my life. Man, we want to hear that. Or if you go, listen, I think you're completely off on this and, and I think this is happening here. We would, well, Jason would love to hear it. I'll just direct all the criticism to him. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I, we, would, we would love to hear that as well because we know we're not perfect. We know that we are not going to get everything right. And man, that's what this is all about. If you want to get in contact with us, you can go to our website at amazedandperplexed.com and find out how to do that. Grace, peace, and love.